Disclaimer. All content from this show are for comedic purposes only. This information should not be considered complete. And should be taken with salt and pepper and cumin. Oh and by the way. Warning. Warning I say all content in the show is intended for adults due to the strong subject matter and graphic nature of the language the information may also not be up to date and is not intended to be used in place of a visit consultation or advice of any other professional. Thank you very kindly. Now let us proceed. Thank you and enjoy the Adrian Lozano Show. Attention ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Adrian Lozano Show. Rock and roll. <laughs> Hello! And welcome to the Adrian Lozano Show. I'm your host, Adrian Lozano. And this is the show that you come to probably on Fridays. It's supposed to be out on Wednesdays, but you know what? If it's Friday, that means the show that comes out on Wednesday has definitely got to be up by now, right? Oi! Oh! All right, that's enough of that. So, today's show, much like every show, will involve a little bit of news, a little bit of movies, a little bit of games, and a little bit of music. That's all I know, so that's all I'm going to talk about. First things first, let's get into the news. Oregon, I love you. I love you, Oregon. Yes. Okay, moving on. <laughs> um... I want to do a couple of quick shout-outs up top for this being my 110th episode. 110. So, how are you? Okay, well, that's good. So, let's get... These articles, news articles, to you. To you. Oh, criminy. Why is it always in it? You're sad, you sing happy songs. And when you're happy, you sing happy songs? Like happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, joy. Teach your grandmother to suck eggs. Oregon becomes first state to decriminalize hard drugs like heroin and cocaine. Fox News. Close. Video. Fox News Go. Oregon became the first state to decriminalize hard drugs like heroin, cocaine and meth in a 59-41% vote as of early Wednesday morning, according to the Associated Press. The Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act will transition Oregon's drug policy from a punitive, criminal approach to a humane, cost-effective health approach. People suffering from addiction are more effectively treated with healthcare services than with criminal punishments, the bill reads. A healthcare approach includes a health assessment to figure out the needs of people who are suffering from addiction, and it includes connecting them to the services they need. Marijuana legalization supporters tout economic benefits in new voter pitch. Instead of treating drug users as criminals, Oregon will now offer them addiction services funded by marijuana tax revenue, which is more than $100 million a year in the state. Only small amounts of drugs are decriminalized, such as less than 1 gram of heroin or MDMA, 2 grams of cocaine or methamphetamine, 
12 grams of psilocybin mushrooms, and 40 doses of LSD, oxycodone or methadone. Criminal penalties for possession of these amounts are replaced with a fine of up to $100, which can be waived if a user is evaluated at addiction recovery centers. Michigan City decriminalizes magic mushrooms, other psychedelic plants. Crimes that are associated with drug use, such as manufacturing drugs, selling drugs and driving under the influence, are still criminal offenses. More than 100 organizations endorsed the measure, including the Oregon Chapter of the American College of Physicians, Oregon Nurses Association, Oregon School Psychologists Association, Oregon Academy of Family Physicians, the ACLU and others. Click here to interact with Fox News Voter Analysis. There was also a fair amount of opposition to the measure, with two dozen district attorneys in the state saying the measure recklessly decriminalizes possession of the most dangerous types of drugs and will lead to an increase in acceptability of dangerous drugs. Click here for the Fox News app. Multiple countries in Europe, including Portugal, the Netherlands, and Switzerland, have decriminalized hard drugs without rampant negative effects. Click here to see Fox News, live probability dials. Portugal decriminalized all drugs in 2001, which did not lead to an increase in drug use, but did result in a dramatic reduction of pathologies associated with drug use, such as sexually transmitted diseases and overdose deaths, according to a 2009 Cato Institute study. A 2015 European drug report also found that Portugal's drug overdose death rate is five times lower than the European Union average. The Associated Press contributed to this report. Addiction Two groups, Oregon Recovers and the Oregon Council for Behavioral Health, came out in opposition to it. With the measure clearly passing, Oregon Recovers plans to lobby the legislature and the governor for changes as it is implemented. I think it's flawed, said Mike Marshall, executive director of Oregon Recovers. But it is now the will of the people. Marshall said his priorities include backfilling cannabis tax dollars that could be cut from city and county mental health and addiction programs, as part of Measure 110's redistribution of that revenue. Wheelock, for her part, says she welcomes working with as broad a coalition as possible to create the state's new health-based approach to addiction. This is not the end of the road for solving the addiction crisis in our state. It's not the end of the road for solving our race-based policing of communities of color, Wheelock said. We have a lot of work to do. We're not done. Tonight we celebrate this. Countries that have decriminalized drug possession are Uruguay, Portugal, the Netherlands, Switzerland and the Czech Republic. Thanks to our sponsor. Become a sponsor OPB's first look newsletter sign up to get important news and culture from around the Northwest, delivered to your inbox six days a week. Email sign up related stories measure 110 would make Oregon first state to decriminalize drug use supporters say the goal is to take people who are addicted to drugs out of the criminal justice system and to treat their addiction as a medical problem. Opponents counter the measure goes too far toward decriminalization without investing enough in treatment. October 14, 2020 tags. Election 2020. Politics OPB's critical reporting is made possible by the power of member support. Be a part of it. Become a sustainer now schedules RSS feed sponsorship help manage my membership contact us maps and directions notifications privacy policy FCC public files terms of use editorial policy SMST and C contest rules accessibility listen to the OPB news live stream opens new window streaming now morning edition. The Adrian Lozano Show. Contribute in the news live election results Pennsylvania COVID-19 Georgia rural voters Oregon becomes first state in the U.S. to decriminalize drug possession by Amelia Templeton, OPB, November 3, 2020, 10, 11 p.m.
Updated. November 4, 2020 11 a.m. The measure is the first of its kind in the country. Measure 110 Addiction Recovery Centers last updated. November 5, 2028 02 p.m. 85% reporting yes 58.55% no 41.45% Oregonians made their state the first in the United States to decriminalize the personal possession of illegal drugs, including cocaine, heroin, oxycodone and methamphetamine. Thanks to our sponsor, Become a Sponsor Measure 110 was passing by a wide margin in unofficial returns updated Wednesday morning. The ballot measure reclassifies possession of small amounts of drugs as a civil violation, similar to a traffic offense. The penalty becomes a $100 fine, which a person can avoid by agreeing to participate in a health assessment. Selling and manufacturing drugs will remain illegal. It takes a lot of courage to try something new, and I'm really proud of our state, said Haven Wheelock, a harm reduction specialist at Outside and and one of the petitioners who filed the measure. I'm excited to be a model for other places to show that we don't have to harm people for being sick. Related. OPB's 2020 election coverage, ballot guide and results the decriminalization provisions of the measure take effect on Feb 1. The measure also funds health assessments, addiction treatment, harm reduction efforts and other services for people with addiction disorders. Funding those programs will come through the reallocation of tens of millions of dollars generated by Oregon's cannabis tax. The measure also is expected to generate savings in the criminal justice system because of fewer drug arrests, prosecutions and incarcerations. Those savings would be redirected into a new state fund for treatment and other services. Measure 110 is the latest example of the state's citizen initiative process being used by national advocates of drug legalization to advance their policy goals. The New York-based advocacy organization Drug Policy Alliance wrote the measure and spent more than $4 million on the Yes campaign. Oregonians understand that we should be treating drug use as a health issue, said Cassandra Frederic, executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. It is a huge sledgehammer to the cornerstone of the war on drugs. The group hopes to use the Oregon victory to convince advocates in other states that drug legalization is politically viable. Thanks to our sponsor become a sponsor, we saw this with marijuana, the domino effect. We are hoping that as the country is having conversations about how to use our resources, how to deal with our loved ones, that Oregon will potentially lead the way, Frederick said. The measure's opponents argued that Oregon was the wrong place to choose as a test case for a new approach to illicit drug use and addiction. The state struggles with some of the highest rates of substance abuse in the nation and among the poorest rates of access to services, according to an analysis by the Oregon Criminal Justice Commission. The measure's opponents included the Oregon District Attorneys Association. I am hopeful with this new effort that it will be successful to address addiction, but I think everyone can agree it's an experiment, said Kevin Barton, the District Attorney for Washington County. One concern in particular for opponents is the absence of any language in Measure 110 specifying how the system of civil penalties would play out in cases involving juveniles caught possessing drugs, and whether their parents will be notified. The biggest question is what to do for teenagers who are using these highly addictive street drugs who choose not to engage in treatment, Barton said. The measure divided local organizations that serve and advocate for people in recovery from. Well... I've got another article that's pretty interesting. I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. Um, good for them. Good for that state. Let's uh, hope this works out for the better. Um, I think it'll do all right. I mean, look at the way. Anyway, look, uh, I'm not going to get like political or whatever. I'm just a fan of drugs. 
And um, that's all I have to say about that. Cool. Um, moving on to um, the next topic, um, let's talk about uh, crystals and diamonds and, um, oh, I don't know, gems and Herkimer. Gotta love that Herkimer. Herkimer. The New York Times at Home Visit, Spain's Natural Paradise, Listen to, Sounds from Home Deal with, Seasonal Depression Explore, Pandemic Logbooks Got Crystals. Gem mining could be your full-time job. Some modern-day prospectors make thousands of dollars selling precious stones they dug up themselves. Image visitors at Herkimer Diamond Mines in October, digging for quartz crystals. Credit, Nina Westervilt for the New York Times share on Facebook post on Twitter mail by Alexandra Marvar October 19, 2020 Moonstones in Montana, Amethyst and Emeralds in North Carolina, Garnet and Quartz in upstate New York. At pay to dig mines around the United States, visitors can paw through piles of mine tailings to uncover crystals and gemstones on, finders, keepers, terms for as little as $10 a day. At Herkimer Diamond Mines in central New York, home to an especially clear and unusually hard type of quartz crystal known as the Herkimer Diamond, a $14 admission price includes a day of prospecting and the rental of a rock hammer. Children under four mine for free. In a typical year, one-fifth of the mine's customers are international tourists, so when the coronavirus halted travel and delayed the start of this year's April to November digging season, the mine's proprietor René Shaldo-Shevet worried about what the loss in revenue may do to the 40-year-old family business. Image Herkimer diamonds are increasingly popular both for their use in healing rituals and in jewelry. Credit, Nina Westervilt for the New York Times Image Credit. Nina Westervilt for the New York Times by late summer, she was more concerned with how to limit the crowds. Diggers of all ages and degrees of seriousness had begun arriving in droves. These days, every day is like a Saturday, Ms. Shevitt said in early September. Advertisement even before the pandemic sent people searching for road trip destinations and outdoor adventure, interest in prospecting and rock hounding, or, fossicking, as it is called in Britain and Australia, was already ticking upward. That has prompted some mines that had long been closed, like the Ruggles Mine in Grafton, NH, toward new life. From 1963 to 2016, Ruggles hosted tourists and hobbyists seeking mica, aquamarine, rose quartz and other treasures in its underground chutes and caverns. It closed in 2016 when its owner, then 90, retired. Late last year, New York City developers snatched it up with plans to reopen it as a tourist attraction, with major upgrades. Mine owners aren't the only ones with bright prospects. Some entrepreneurs are finding ways to carve out new careers in gemstones, too. Advertisement image of $14 admission price includes a day of prospecting and the rental of a rock hammer. Credit, Nina Westervilt for the New York Times for example, after having their jobs and schooling upended by the pandemic in the spring, Frank and Kindle Stallings, 22 and 27, of Charleston, Mo, pivoted to digging for crystals. It all started in February, when Frank took me to the diamond mine in Arkansas for Valentine's Day, said Ms. Stallings, of the couple's visit to a $10 a day public mine called Crater of Diamonds State Park in Murfreesboro. While they didn't bring home a diamond, they did find a tiny piece of quartz. The experience was a thrill of life-changing proportions. By mid-March, Mr. Stallings's work as a financial advisor had slowed significantly, Mrs. Stallings's classes for a bachelor's degree in horticulture had gone remote, and a job she had recently been offered, data entry at a hospital, never started. Advertisement with their newfound time, the Stallingses were mining nearly every day. 
By mid-April, the couple had sold everything they owned on Facebook, burned everything they could and sell in a bonfire, packed up their truck and hit the road to work as freelance crystal miners. $50 a day to dig, and if you dig really hard you find $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 worth of cry. Really hard you find $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 worth of crystals, Mr. Stallings said, referring to Ron Coleman Mining, a crystal mine in Arkansas where the couple recently unearthed a, once in a lifetime, 15-pound clear quartz point, which they later sold for $1,500. Treasure hunting. Credit, Nina Westervelt for the New York Times credit. Nina Westervelt for the New York Times While $5,000 days are extremely rare, the Stallingses do earn a living selling specimens of gold, amazonite, pyrite, quartz, fluorite, shark teeth and obsidian out of the back of their Toyota RAV4 and on eBay. To keep overhead low, they are camping full-time, but expect this, tent life, phase to be just a rite of passage. Ms. Stallings recently emailed from a campsite on the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, where the couple was hunting iridescent uprolite by UV flashlight at night. We are just getting started and foresee huge success with this business we are building, she wrote. Minor ambitions A dedicated rockhound may, in theory, make up to $10,000 a month selling his or her finds on the internet. A mineral or crystal that is hand-collected at a domestic, non-commercial site may fetch several times the price of one imported from a commercial mine abroad, especially in countries where the gemstone trade is known to finance conflict and genocide. Sellers can sometimes charge even more if they capture their finds on video and hype them on social media. One of the kingpins of this business model is Brian Major, aka The Crystal Collector, a shaggy-haired prospector who posted his first crystal digging video to YouTube nine years ago. Video after video show him brandishing an amethyst cluster the size of his torso or an aquamarine crystal the length of his forearm, not only courting potential buyers, but also luring rockhounding newcomers with what they could achieve. To make a career of digging crystals and gemstones, a nomadic life isn't mandatory. Patrick and Samantha Krug, 32 and 30, go rockhounding multiple times a week a stone's throw from their own backyard in Fonda, NY Image Credit, Nina Westervelt for the New York Times there's nothing like birthing a crystal that has been in the dark for 500 million years, being the first one to bring it into the light, not knowing what you have until you get it out and clean, Mr. Krug said. He and his wife fell in love with digging Herkimer diamonds while in college at SUNY Cobleskill. The couple goes by, him and Herc, on Instagram. Two years ago, the Krugs were granted a rare privilege by a local landowner, their own Herkimer land claim, a fraction of the size of a public mine, but one they have all to themselves. They use traditional mining techniques, not power tools, the way their mentors taught them and pay a small fee, $5 per day that they dig, to use the claim exclusively, carting their 16-pound hammers, flat steel, rakes, hose, safety goggles and other crystal digging gear on a little wagon. Herkimer diamonds often form in free-floating, double-terminated crystals, which means they have a point on both ends, causing them to resemble a cut diamond. After a rain, searchers may find them sparkling all over the ground, the size of a poppy seed or a pencil eraser. Or, they may need to bust through walls of dolomitic limestone to find a pocket, an air chamber in the rock where crystals form, where one might find a, palmer, a palm-sized herc, or maybe one even bigger. Credit, Nina Westervelt for the New York Times image credit, Nina Westervelt for the New York Times the clearer and cleaner edge there, the more value Herkimer diamonds have, and good specimens are increasingly popular both for their use in healing rituals and in jewelry. Meghan Markle wore Herkimer diamond rings, stud earrings and a bracelet to Princess Eugenie's wedding last October.
Despite the Herkimer Diamonds cachet, the Krugs haven't fully cashed in. They are keeping their Operation S. Okay, as I was trying to say before, I was interrupted by my digital Muzak. Um, Bowie is a new Stardust movie. Check out the trailer. I have a surprise for you. Victoria, for your hand in marriage, I'd cross oceans. You're funny, Tristan. Oh, Tristan, a shooting star! I'd cross the wall and I'd bring you back that one star. You can't cross the wall. Nobody crosses the wall. Excuse me, have you seen a fallen star anywhere? We're in a crater. This must be where it fell. Yeah, this is where I fell. You're the star. You're the star? Really? Oh, wow. You've seen stories of magical worlds. <laughs> wicked witches. <clears throat> flying pirates. And dashing princes. But never has there been an adventure quite like this. Everyone's talking about a fallen star. When I find out, the glory of our youth shall be restored. This is the part where you tell me who you are and why you're up here. We're just trying to make our way home. Touche. You better be telling the truth, you two-faced dog. I can get you one of them, actually. Very good guard dogs. They can watch the back and the front door at the same time. Enough. Where's the girl? You have seconds to live. Now we shall begin. I know what you are. Get him. Not for long. Hold me tight and think of home. Yeah, I think that Robert De Niro is going to be great as David Bowie. Wait a second. Hang on a minute. Hello. Name? David Bowie. Twelve singles, every one a total failure, except Space Oddity. The record company finds the album too weird for the eggs. I need to be known. I, I need them to know me. There's only one guy at Mercury who doesn't hate your new record with every bone in his body. David Bowie, I presume. Ron Oberman, Mercury Records. We got packed couple weeks coming up. Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, and then out to LA. I think we can make it work. All it takes is one believer to change the world. And we got two. Two? You believe in yourself, don't you? I think you're gonna be the biggest star in America. This is a queen family rock station, so keep it safe. Tell me about the new album. Well, what's it all about? It's about the years I spent dressing in women's clothes and getting laid. You want to know why it's not working? If anyone dares to ask you about your actual work, you just do the mystical mime act. 
There is no authentic me. It's just fear. Well, then, be someone else. Be someone else. I don't want to go mad. I want to take my fantasies on stage with me. Act like a star and think you're a star. Don't stop until you have them on the floor groveling. You're not a space alien. You're from Bromley, man. Oh, yes, I am. Rock star or somebody impersonating a rock star. What's the difference? Skip to my Lou, my darling. Well, hello, beautiful soft flash. This is Eleanor, the robot voice, robot voice coming at you in your dreams. Ha 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 Still alive, still alive, still alive. Okay, connecting, connecting, reconnect, explore. EU.com. Subscribe. Home movies David Bowie's son says Stardust biopic doesn't have music rights or family's blessing. David Bowie's son says Stardust biopic doesn't have music rights or family's blessing. By Nick Romano. February 1, 2019 at 10.59 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stardust. Type. Movie. As casting continues for Stardust, an upcoming biopic about the late David Bowie, the project hit a publicity snag. Filmmaker Duncan Jones, Bowie's son, spoke out about the movie and claimed the producers didn't have the rights to his father's library of music nor did they have the family's blessing. Pretty certain nobody has been granted music rights for any biopic. I would know, Jones tweeted on Thursday. I'm not saying this movie is not happening. I honestly wouldn't know. I'm saying that as it stands, this movie won't have any of dad's music in it, and I can't imagine that changing. If you want to see a biopic without his music or the family's blessing, that's up to the audience. In a statement provided to EU, the producers of Stardust from Salon Pictures in the UK said, We would like to clarify that this film is not a biopic. It is a moment-in-time film at a turning point in David's life, and is not reliant on Bowie's music. Our original press release did state this. Much like Nowhere Boy for John Lennon, Control for Joy Division, the production uses period music and songs that Bowie covered, but not his original tracks. The film was written as an Origin story about the beginning of David's journey as he invented his Ziggy Stardust character, and focuses on the character study of the artist, as opposed to a hits-driven, music, biopic. We're not using any Bowie music, producer Paul Van Carter further clarified over the phone to EU. We always knew that we weren't going to. We wouldn't lie about something like that, he added, pointing to the original press release that stated such. Instead, they're using, using music from the period. As far as the family's blessing, Van Carter explained the producers, approached representatives of the Bowie estate before we started developing the idea of this movie. We offered to send the screenplay and make the estate involved in the creative process, he said, adding, we were told there wouldn't be approval from the estate. The estate doesn't typically license Bowie's music. Through a spokesperson, the Bowie estate declined to comment at this time. It's not a big-budget musical biopic like Bohemian Rhapsody, Van Carter noted. This isn't trying to be that film. 
The producer described Stardust as a very sensitive one, an homage one, about a very unique moment in his life. Bowie died three years ago on January 10, 2016 at the age of 69 after a battle with cancer. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Johnny Flynn, National Geographic's genius, Netflix's lovesick, will play Bowie in Stardust, directed by Gabriel Range, Death of a President, I Am a Slave. Jenna Malone, Vice, will play Bowie's wife Angie and Mark Maron, Netflix's Glow, will play Bowie's record publicist, for Variety. Stardust follows the rise of Bowie, beginning with the 1971 trip to America that helped inspire the musician's alter ego, Ziggy Stardust. Jones later added on Twitter, if American Gods and Sandman writer Neil Gaiman wanted to write something using Dad's characters, and Spider-Man, into the Spider-Verse co-director Peter Ramsey, and his team wanted to make it as an animated film, I would urge everyone on my end to pay attention and give the pitch serious consideration. This article has been updated with comments from the producers of Stardust. Related content. David Bowie's statue vandalized 48 hours after unveiling how David Bowie's Berlin period inspired Duncan Jones' sci-fi film. Smarter man smart. The woman is smarter man smart. Meow 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 meow. Meow meow. Oh, Joseph, what are we to do, Joseph? Joseph! Oh! Alright, cool. And now for a special segment we like to call Learning Something with Adrian. I even think there's some kind of theme music, isn't there? Anybody? Anybody? Some kind of theme Muzak. Um, you want to know something? If you ever get uh, your hair or you get uh, your crazy cat jumping into that there fly ribbon, you can use vegetable oil to uh, make it not so sticky. And uh, it'll break it down and make it easier to get like a damp cloth and, you know, wash it out of there. But um, yeah, vegetable oil. That'll, uh, that'll do you just fine if you get tangled in one of those, you know, fly strips. Let's hope you don't, you know, <laughs> but, um, if you see it happen to somebody else, you can, you know, think about it for a second and be like, I know what to do. I remember this episode. And then you start talking about all the other stuff I talked about. It's like, did you know that Oregon? And they're like, help me. It's like, oh, wait, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, that was learning something really quick with Adrian. I guess next time we'll have a fucking a song or something. Maybe one day. Oh, great. Now I, now I get it really. It's, thanks. Thanks. Better late than never. How about we take a quick intermission and, um, reflect on what we've learned and or go and check the clothes and or reload whatever you're smoking and or scratch that itch either way 
Enjoy this music that I created. Because I'm weird like that. Oh, wouldn't you know it? I am still here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I know I'm really doing something with this. It's a little uh, heavy on the Bowie-inspired, but... I don't know. Alright, so, a couple things about Bowie. Uh, Everybody knows this. John Lennon helped him write fame. John Lennon famously said the word aim, and the rest is history? Question mark? Um, Could be going on right now. As we, I, as I speak. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I um, am definitely... Uh, looking forward to seeing this unauthorized biopic. Nowhere Boy was actually one of my favorite um, John Lennon stories, I guess, if you want to put it like that. If you want to be like that, label things as you do. Anyway, getting some cardboard out and then, uh, you know, take my tracksuit off and go to town. What do you mean I got to leave the tracksuit on? No, no, no. That's not how this works. Anyway. I'm really, uh... I'm trying my best to have a good time. Uh... Dance! Thank you. Okay, so we're almost done with this here episode. I've got one last thing to share with you, and it has to do with a little movie called The Quaft. That's right, The Quaft. Macaroni and cheese. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, The Quaft, one of the hottest and most um, 
mysterious uh, women um, to ever be in the movie Waterboy, besides Kathy Bates, is uh, Feruza Bulk. Uh, if you don't know Feruza Bulk, she was the chick from American History X. She was the chick from The Craft. She was the chick from, uh, what's that other one? Uh, Almost Famous, I think. Um, yeah, so check out this article from, uh, what is it? Rant, I think. Anyway, it's um, it's cool. Okay. All right, let's do this. I know it feels fast, but it's nice, isn't it? To have a family unit. Come on in to meet the boys. They're really excited to meet you. How are you feeling about school? You can meet some new friends. I know why the cage bird sings. Um, wow, that is super nasty. Oh. All right, enough. Settle down. So hey, it happens to everyone. He's made us all cry at one point or another. You should come over after school. What is all this? This is a ceremony to celebrate you. Why would you celebrate me? Because you're out fourth. Just in time for first period. This is all just a little crazy. Half the battle of having powers is believing you do. That's why covens have always been important. If we can do that, what else can we do? We need to put a spell on Timmy. We don't want to hurt him though, right? She's right. The number one rule of the craft. If a person is a danger to herself or others, they will be bound. I'm starting to get a little worried. Sorry, I was just hanging out with my friends. We've gone too far. Was this just like some game to you? Oh, no. I feel different. Be careful. A lot of weirdos out here. We are the weirdos, mister. The Craft. Legacy. Feruza Bach's return and cameo role explained. Warning. Major spoilers for The Craft. Legacy ahead. Blumhouse Productions' The Craft. Legacy is the long-awaited sequel to the cult classic 1996 horror movie, The Craft, and features a surprise cameo from one of the most iconic characters. When the first trailer dropped in September of 2020, it revealed that Feruza Bach's Nancy Downs would somehow be involved in the storyline. Nancy's relationship to the newest member of the coven, Lily Cayley Spaney, is an interesting connection that opens the sequel up for future franchise potential. Here's what Nancy Downs means to the reboot as well as the future of the Kraft movie series. Continue scrolling to keep reading click the button below to start this article in quick view. Start now. Advertising. The Kraft follows a group of three witches as they await their fourth to complete their coven. When Sarah Bailey, Robin Tunney, comes to town, Nancy Downs, 
Bonnie Harper, Neve Campbell, and Rochelle Zimmerman's Rachel True foursome is finally complete, but it doesn't take long for one of them to use their powers for harm against others. The original movie takes on a much darker tone than Zoe Lister-Jones's reboot. In the 1996 movie, three out of the four witches use their powers for selfish reasons or revenge. The Craft Legacy portrays four innocent women who are completely unaware of the strength that Manon has passed down to their newest member, Lily, and her blood legacy. They appear to be using their magic for good, and even bind each other when they believe they've caused harm. In The Craft, Nancy is bound by Sarah in an attempt to keep herself and others safe, but Manon has gifted her with powers beyond belief. Advertising. Related. Why The Craft? Legacy's PG-13 rating isn't a problem. When Feruza Bach first appeared in the trailer, it was speculated that she could be related to one of the witches or would serve as an omen against using magic for evil or selfish purposes. As it turns out, Lily was adopted, her birth mother is none other than Nancy Downs. Lily was adopted by Helen, Michelle Monaghan, when she was a nurse watching over the then-pregnant Nancy, who requested Helen take Lily and raise her with good intentions. At the end of the movie, Lily finally meets her mother, which provides the opportunity for Blumhouse to make another sequel. Here's what Nancy Downs's return means for the future of the Kraft movies. Advertising The Kraft Legacy confirmed that Nancy Downs is Lily's mother, but what does that mean for the movie series? This big reveal could offer several possibilities if Blumhouse chooses to make a sequel. Adam, portrayed by the X-Files David Duchovny, states that Lily's real mother is, tied up in a different way. While this could mean that Nancy's stay at the hospital is permanent, it's far more likely that he is alluding to her magic being bound, but Sarah wasn't successful when she attempted it in the craft. Instead, this statement could mean Adam bound Nancy's powers that the pagan deity, Manon, bestowed upon her. Adam is a strong witch whose powers seem to be passed down through generations, so he could possibly have the strength to accomplish this. Advertising. Helen makes it clear that Nancy has spent a lot of time reflecting on the evil she inflicted on her coven. This is based on the fact that she asks Lily's adoptive mother to never reveal who her true mother is, and to ensure that her daughter uses her gifts for good. It's possible that Nancy will later be able to offer some form of insight into the workings of Manon in another movie. Her involvement in the craft. Legacy also offers the opportunity for the other three original cast members to return. While it may not be likely, it's still a possibility depending on where the director chooses to take the craft's story in the future, if there's a continuation. Advertising. While Nancy Downs's cameo role could mean several things in regard to the craft movie franchise, and the big reveal was enough to create numerous theories, one major question remains unanswered. Who is Lily's father? Helen doesn't seem to know, and it appears as though Nancy kept it a secret. The future of the craft. Legacy may reveal an all-new relationship between Adam, Manon, and Nancy that could, in turn, further explain who Lily's real father is, and how she received Manon's gifts. More. Charmed was inspired by the craft. Here's why. Share share tweet email. Zero. Comment. Everything we know so far about Train to Busan 3. Related topics. Horror. The Craft. About the author. Marion Phillips, 317 articles published. Marion Phillips is a writer, 
reader, and horror movie fan based out of Pittsburgh, PA. She is a dedicated historian, researcher, and content creator, and now works as a horror movie features writer for Valnet, Inc. at ScreenRant. More from Marion Phillips. Advertising. Just remember, as long as you're doing your best and you're not slacking off or half-assing it, as long as you're really trying hard, you're going to do great. You're going to do fucking badass. All right. Also, don't forget to like us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And follow at the Adrian Lozano Show. Looking pretty good. I'll take it. I'll take it all day long. And taking a live look outside 37 at Carolina. Well, I think um, I've got some other stuff I've got to do. I'm editing a few videos. If you've been paying attention to my channel, um, you noticed I might have been absent from some of my videos. That's going to change. I plan on doing a few live episodes where you can fucking ask me whatever. And let's see if anybody's paying attention. Why the fuck not? Um, I want to thank everybody who's anybody. Um, especially you for listening. Um, I definitely want to thank... I definitely want to thank every woman that's ever loved me. Ah, yes. I'm definitely going to be a creep and one day just go through all the um, women from the 90s that I had a crush on. Uh, like, was it Debbie Mazar and uh, uh, Gina Gershon, Jennifer Tilly? Uh, this isn't that episode yet, but anyway. Um, thank you. Uh, again, for listening, seriously, if you want to do something nice for some weirdo, I can be that weirdo and you could tell people about the show. See how that works. All right, cool. Um, as always, this is a comedy podcast intended for the purposes of humor. Don't forget to look out for snipers. That's not funny. That's a real thing. Um, yes, always watch your back, um, travel in packs. Except when you're alone, just tape a bunch of dummies to you. And then um, always measure one and a half times. Uh, no, I, uh, that's terrible advice. Always measure twice. Um, always. And uh, cut once. Anyway, saves you time in the long run. Stitching time, all that stuff. Look, you know a lot of these things already. I'm just reminding you because you're busy and you forget. Now, I'm going to get busy on the next episode. Um, yeah, like I said, there's going to be some live episodes, so I'll definitely give you a fair warning. I was thinking maybe, um, maybe for 120, uh, doing a live episode, a live episode. Oh, boy. But, um, hopefully by then I've got my, uh, um, segments together, you know? I'm going to shave my segments so they're nice and smooth. But, um, anyway, <laughs> I'm getting weird again. Um, cool. I will see you in the next episode and I hope you learned something that you can use for fun. You have been listening to the Adrian Lozano show.